everyone welcome in to another daily editorial we're talking gold and silver and diving into some of the cot reports as well as etf flows as we are chatting with jeff christian managing partner at the cpm group now as i said jeff let's focus initially on the gold and silver markets when it comes to the commitment of trader reports Overall, what we've been hearing and I think what we see in the reports is general lack of interest when it comes to open interest for both gold and silver. I guess it goes to show just kind of the boring nature of recent price moves and, well, the stocks continue to be very much unloved. So it's that whole Western demand just not being there. Jeff, in terms of those commitment of trader reports for gold and silver, what stood out to you? Well, yeah, silver is much more negative in terms of the COT than gold right now. And if you look at the silver, you know, you're almost a virtual flat, you know, with institutional investors having liquidated a, a lot of their silver positions and also built up their longs. But, you know, to be fair and honest, you know, if the peak gross long position on silver futures and options was like around 650 million ounces. And that was back in like 2018, 2016 or so. And that was mostly on the short side. Or, I mean, on, that was actually on the long side. You, you had a lot of short side in 2018, 2019, which has kind of gone away. But, you know, if you look at 650 as the peak gross long, and you're at like 250, 300, 350 now, you've lost about half of your long open interest. If you look at the short side of silver, where you had about 550 short, gross short in 2018, 2019, you still have like 150 million ounces short. So I think what you're looking at with the CT, COT reports is you're not looking necessarily at investors who have said, I'm just giving up on silver. What you're looking at is investors who say, my computer can't give me a quantitative price-driven, momentum-driven argument as to whether I should be long or short. So they've lightened up on both sides. And as a group, institutional investors are kind of neutral on silver, waiting for direction. Now, in gold, You've got a similar situation, but it's it, they're they're much they're they're still like 15, 20 million ounces of net longs in the gold. So there's still a proclivity to be long gold in the futures and options market, where that's kind of disappeared in the civil market. Well, Jeff, you made the point a number of times on our show that as far as supply demand in the metals, either gold or silver that there's a lot of forces at work, but really the biggest thing that moves the pricing is the investor demand at the periphery. And so with those comments on the COT reports and, and looking at the ETF inflows, what is your big picture take on investor sentiment around the edges of pricing? It's, as I said, with gold, there's a, there's a proclivity to trade it on the long side. And you have to be careful with the ETF data because especially with gold, you know, you've got, ETF investors are different from physical gold investors. And one of the things you've seen over the last two years is that you've seen a reduction in gold ETF holdings, even as investors have been buying a fairly strong amount of, of metal in the physical market, coins and bars. You know. And actually, 
just looking at the data, the net sales in ETFs go back three years. And, and what you're seeing there, I think, is not so much bearishness on gold on the part of ETF investors as concerns about counterparty risk with ETFs. Because what you've seen is, again, you know, three years of net reductions in ETF holdings, and they're still, they're still very substantial, but they have come off. You know, you're still talking about large amounts of gold held in ETFs, you know, 120 million ounces or so, but it has come off because investors have been worried about counterparty risk. They want to own physical gold and they want to have direct access to physical gold. They don't want to have to worry about financial intermediaries who own, who operate or manage or administer the ETF having financial problems. They want to have direct exposure to gold. And that in turn reflects concerns about the financial system's stability and risks that you could have financial crises that you see, you know, and, and you see gold investors talking about that. So you have to be kind of careful when it gets to the ETF holdings, especially in gold, because what you're seeing in gold is investor demand for gold, 24 million ounces last year, holding up relatively well by historical standards, but investors are more concerned about the, the counterparty risk of the administrators and all in the ETFs. In silver, it's a much more bearish story across the board. So you have investors, you know, investors have continued, I guess, to buy ETFs in the silver, but it is down from where it was. And um, that is in line with the, the lower net long position and gross long position that you're seeing in the futures market. So shorter term investors have been more bearish on silver than they have been on gold. So Jeff, carry that over to the stocks. And I know you don't, you're not a stock analyst, but when it comes to general investment demand, it seems like there just is not that much demand at all for precious metals equities outside of maybe the group that constantly is in the sector, trading amongst themselves and concentrating in just a handful of stocks. Why aren't investors, if, if they do tend to like maybe the long side of just gold, why aren't they going down into the stocks? Well, I think there's several factors that have nothing to do with gold and silver mining per se that have just caused a lot of institutional investors and retail investors to walk away from individual stock ownership. So they're much more interested in stock ETFs and indexed funds rather than in trying to guess which mining company is the better mining company. And the problem there is that those index funds and ETFs only have the largest cap mining companies. So these smaller mining companies and smaller cap mining companies and exploration and development and pre-development companies, they are being basically ignored by retail and institutional investors. And it's really hurting their financial performance and it's hurting them across the board. So you have companies that are showing good operating results, but their financial results are bad. And then you have companies that are showing bad operating results and bad financial uh, factors. So, you know, but a lot of that has to do with just 
investors shifting away from individual stock picking and moving more to indexed funds. There are, on top of that, there are factors related to mining and specifically precious metals mining, but you're also seeing it spill over into, say, copper and nickel to some extent, where you have investors who are disenchanted with the mining sector or they're moving away from mining because they see it as somehow or other being uh, environmentally negative, or they are just tired of the poor performance, or they had bought a lot of these stocks because they expected the prices to rise sharply in the case of gold and silver. And even though gold's at a record price, they're disenchanted because it's not $8,000 an ounce the way some of these gurus on the internet are talking about. So there is disenchantment on it. And the stock industry, the stock market, the, the shares of the mining companies has really been hit and hurt by that disenchantment. Yeah, Jeff, there is a fair bit of disenchantment out there and, and it's hurting the sentiment in the sector with the precious metals. There are two other metals that people do include with the precious metals, platinum and palladium, and we continue to get a lot of questions about it. I know you just released your outlook out to 2050 on platinum and palladium. I thought maybe we could work that in, Jeff, just uh, some general comments on how you see the setup with platinum and palladium. You know, it's interesting because the the in the platinum and palladium industry, the, the, the key dynamic to pay attention to is a long-term dynamic. And you're seeing lower demand for PGMs in the auto emission catalysts. And that's the major use for platinum, palladium, and rhodium. And with the growth in electric vehicles, sales and purchases and construction, you're seeing fewer cars that have ICE uh, engines that burn petroleum fuel and, and uh, base fuels. So you're seeing less demand for platinum and palladium from their main market, uh, autos. But the, the, that decline in demand is in a race with a decline in supply. And you're seeing South African and other mining companies reduce the amount of metal that they're producing, in some cases because of financial constraints, in some cases because of operating problems. But you're, so, you know, the question is, which declines faster and sooner, supply or demand? And right now, demand is declining faster than supply. And so you've got additional supplies coming into the market. You don't have deficits in these markets. You have surpluses in these markets, and that metal's building up and it's weighing on the price. And that's probably going to continue for a year or two. Over the next, say, three to five years, you could well see supply decline more rapidly than demand for these metals, and you could see a period of somewhat higher prices. But, you know, I think a lot of longer-term investors are looking at platinum and plating and saying, the glory days for these metals as direct investments is over. So there's, there's a movement away from platinum and palladium on the part of investors, both long-term and short-term. Jeff, it almost seems like there's a movement away from metal stocks broadly, carrying over your platinum and palladium comments. What could change this? Is it simply just price environment taking off or is there something else that we need to understand that maybe has broadly changed in the markets where investors have other options and they're not coming back? Yeah, I think it's a combination of factors and that makes it much harder to 
to have a diagnosis and and to have a prescription for how to fix it. You know, like and and I, I did allude to it earlier. You've seen copper and nickel suffering in terms of prices, partly because they were overbought by investors who expected a much more rapid growth in copper and nickel demand because of the energy transition. And seeing that the energy transition overall is facing some headwinds and that economic uh, prospects on a shorter term basis may be cooling off and that you've got, again, supply building up in these markets and investors sort of saying, wait a second, I think I got too enthusiastic too early on these. And so you've had investor liquidation of long positions, copper and nickel uh, specifically, uh, because there's been this reevaluation as to how rapidly electric vehicles will replace ICE engines and how rapidly the overall energy transition and electrification of the world will occur. You know, so I think that there's a reevaluation. You still have the stock promoters talking about this desperate get future gap in copper and nickel supply relative to demand, but you have a lot of institutional investors and retail investors saying, um, yeah, wake me when it happens. Jeff, what about China? We all know how much China has been struggling and how big of a demand side they could be for metals, but Look, they've been having a lot of trouble. Could China or another country help to support higher prices or more interest? Well, China, yeah. China has been for a couple of decades, it was the engine for growth. And when you started to look at like copper or platinum or other metals, you would see that, A, they were growing in terms of their percentage of total demand, but that a lot of the growth in global demand was in China. So you might have seen China, you know, move from 10% to 20% to 40% of global copper production uh, demand, for example. But the growth in Chinese demand for a given metal was, was even a greater percentage of total growth. And China has stumbled over the last four or five years, and it continues to have a number of issues. If China got its house in order, or it could become the engine for growth. The other big place for growth is India, but India has a very sloppy uh, government, and it tends to get in the way of capital formation and business in, in India. So while it's doing better these days, it could do even better if it got its political house in order. And then on a longer-term basis, you you will have reconstruction in Ukraine, and you will have reconstruction in Gaza. And Russia, if it ever stops its war effort, will probably have, you'll probably see a fair bit of capital investment in non-military applications. So you could see a variety of countries showing stronger demand, but there are a lot of headwinds in each of those countries right now. Yeah, fair enough. Boy, oh boy, all the data we seem to get out of China, even their move this week to lower rates, at least for to help save their housing sector. Well, uh, just another sign that China trying to get back on track. But hey, we all know how big of a demand side they can be for metals. 
seems like we're all just waiting, at least metals investors waiting for another catalyst to drive these metals higher. Right now, ah, we're very much stuck in ranges, and many of them well off their lows, but still just not that excitement. Uh, same goes for a lot of different sectors, though. Jeff, thank you for your time. I'll post a link to the CPM group. We'll chat again next month. I hope you have a great rest of your week. Take care.